following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Hello. Um, uh, I neglected to mention that before, after service, we could use some help digging out the sign so Linda can change the message out front. Um, it's still a good message, yes. Um, I'm sure she's got a good one in her pocket, ready to go, but she can't get to the sign. So if we could just get some help doing that, that would be great. Um, turn, turn, weather is coming, sorry. Turn with me in your Bible, so Luke chapter 14. Uh, Today, we'll look at verses 25 through 35, and uh, nobody has to wave their catechism book at me to remind me who would do the questions because we finished that. Uh, I miss it it already, yeah. Um, um, Before we jump into our text for this morning, I want to read for you another text that will hopefully... Uh, frame our thinking uh, uh, as we look at our passage in the Gospel of Luke. Um, And it's uh, verses that can't be read enough. Um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. I read that to you as a reminder to me um, as we look at this passage in Luke, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Thank you, Lord. Not works, not our effort, faith in Jesus alone. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your great love for us. We are grateful for your word preserved for us. We're grateful for your Holy Spirit that fills us. We're grateful for your son who died for us. And we're grateful for you, Father, for your love for us, your grace, your mercy. We pray you would use this time for your glory and our good in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you um, if you get the email Sunday morning, the text of the sermon goes out magically Sunday morning. So you can have what I am, what I have here. So if you've gotten that, you'll already, if you read it, I guess, you'll know 
that I wrote what I wrote before Mike said what he said about love. Um, I love you guys. I really do. And because I love you, <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> I have to I have to ask you which is more loving to tell you lies that make you feel good or to tell you the truth even if it makes you uncomfortable. Well, your answer doesn't matter. It's important we have a proper definition of love because the world doesn't get it right. It's not affection. It's not a feeling. It's an action. It's preferring others above yourself, putting others before your own good. And because the Lord Jesus preferred us over himself, because the Lord loved people, he told them the truth, no matter the cost. And he knew the cost. So let's look at what the Lord Jesus said in Luke 14, 25 to 35. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no use for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. Now, it's pretty clear from this text that Jesus was altogether unfamiliar with modern church growth strategy. This is not how you do it. He obviously didn't think that the best plan to get the biggest crowd 
was to water down the message to the point where it was inoffensive enough to keep people coming back. It almost appears that Jesus was trying to thin out the herd. I think he was. I've considered starting to wear a suit and tie so we have more room to sit in here. People will stop coming. That's why, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, some thoughts should stay inside. <laughs> now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, cannot be my disciple. How can Jesus, who's supposed to be all about love, tell people that in order to be his disciple, that they have to hate their family? What could he possibly mean by this? Now, if you've been here more than once, you know me well enough that I want to go to the Greek and I want to find that the English translation is not as good as it could be. I want the word hate to mean something else. It doesn't. What I can tell you is that the commentators agree that Jesus is making a comparative statement that the love you have for your father and your mother and your wife and children and brothers and sisters, even your own life, should look like hatred in comparison to your love for Jesus. Here's the best way that I can understand this. I drive a 2003 GMC Sierra pickup, and I love it. It was made back when headlights were headlights. Not this LED craziness that they're putting in car headlights today that you can see up a squirrel's nose from a mile away, (laughs) blind everybody else. When I drive down the road at night and my dear wife is following me in our other car with these wicked LED squirrel examination lights, it's like my lights aren't even on. Even my high beams disappear and that light from behind me casts a shadow. That's what our love for Christ should be. Every other affection should pale in comparison. Our devotion to him should make our love and devotion to everything and everyone else look like a shadow. Even our very own selves. Verse 27 says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. One thing that is very helpful when reading the New Testament is to remember that Jesus was not in New Hampshire. Not in 2024. In first century Israel, the context is very different. 
And when Jesus said these words, he was not inside a building like this um, with nice and clean carpets and comfortable seats. And He's outside. And it's very possible at that moment that Jesus says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It's very possible that they could see someone crucified in the background. It's very possible that someone passed them on the road carrying their cross. We can't forget that. Nobody's been crucified around here, at least in the last week. I think it's been longer. This was very, very familiar to Jesus and the people who were listening to him. Those people to whom Jesus was first speaking knew all too well the horror of Roman crucifixion. The Romans used this act of public humiliation and torture as a constant threat to keep the people of Israel in line. Jesus' own experience of being forced to carry his own cross was not unique to him. It was part of the process. The victim of crucifixion was forced to submit themselves to bear the instrument of their own death. So when Jesus used this image, he knew what was coming for him. But he also knew what was in store for those who were truly his disciples. Of the first 12 disciples... Only one of them died of old age, and he was banished to a deserted island. Everyone else was sawed in half or beheaded or boiled and stoned and all of these horrible things. Jesus knew what was coming for them. The invitation to dine at his table, like we talked about last week, from earlier in this chapter. That invitation is an invitation to come and die. Jesus was calling those who would follow him to forsake their own lives, to submit to the possibility of suffering death for his namesake. Jesus never once promised that adding him to an already decent life would make for a better life. Jesus didn't promise that. If that's what you're looking for, you're going to be disappointed. What Jesus promised was trouble, hardship, persecution, suffering. He also promised that it's worth it for his glory. Submitting to Jesus makes an altogether different life. A life of submission to him and to the cost of following him. Jesus was then and is now calling all who would listen to consider that cost. And he made that point with two short parables. 
verse 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Consider what these pictures might look like uh, in our reality. A loud outward declaration of faith, but an inward refusal to turn away from sin. Half-hearted Christianity, like just wearing the t-shirt, but not living the life. J.J. Van Oosterzee wrote, While the decidedly Christian life constrains the world to involuntary respect, half-Christianity provokes it to not unnatural scoffing. Have you ever met, everyone, uh, ever met anyone that loves to point out the inconsistency of Christians? Don't make it easier for them. What could it possibly cost? What is required? We live in the land of the free. Liberty bought and paid for so that we could freely worship Jesus. Gather here in his name this morning. I pray that liberty doesn't go away. But that doesn't mean that following Jesus does not come without cost in this life. What is required? Death to sin. Even our favorite ones. Self-denial. Watchfulness. Exercise of holy duty to the church and to our neighbors may cost us our reputation, may cost our houses, our liberties, all that's dear to us in this world, even our lives. That's the possibility that we face. That's the cost we have to count. Matthew Henry wrote, and if it should cost us all this, what is what is it in comparison with what cost what it cost Christ to purchase the advantages of faith for us which come to us without money and without price what we have to give up is nothing in comparison to what Christ gave up for us now this is not a call to sell all that you have and give it to the church or to turn away from your family and and reject them as strangers. This is a call to submit all that you have and all that you are to the cause of Christ and his kingdom. To use what you have been given to expand his kingdom. And his kingdom is made of people, not palaces. We as a family have been so blessed by the Lord with so many things. So many good people surrounding us and new snowblowers 
and stuff like that. And for what purpose? So that my yard stays clean of the snow, right? No. I could clear my neighbor's yard. I could truck it over to your house if your snowblower blows up. That's, that's why you have anything at all. It's to be a blessing to other people that they could know the love of Christ through your act of service and sacrifice. That's another cost we don't think about. It's not just it's going to cost me something to believe in Jesus. Nothing you have is yours anyway. So get over yourself. Jesus gives us one more picture to illustrate his point. That's separated by a heading in your, uh, in your Bible there, but there is no doubt that this, these two verses are connected to the preceding ones. Verse 34, Jesus said, Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Does that make sense to you? Oh, that's a pleasant surprise because it doesn't make any sense to me. How can salt lose its saltiness? It's salt. How do you make it salty again by adding more salt? It doesn't. Salt without saltiness, at least for me, is hard to wrap my mind around because because I don't get it. But it is possible. In natural salt deposits, for the sodium chloride to leach out and leave behind saltless material. And what use is that? Salt that isn't salty. It doesn't flavor your food. It doesn't preserve anything. It doesn't even like harden your arteries like it should. That's why we love it. Melt your snow, maybe. I, there's no use for it at all. It's not simply less usable than it was. It's completely unusable. Now, how does this connect to the preceding verses? Jesus is calling all who would hear to self-consideration and examination. This consideration and examination must lead to self-renunciation and submission wholeheartedly to Jesus. We used to sing an old song. I don't remember the rest of it, but one word sticks in my mind, is you're all on the altar. I don't remember the name of the song or the tune, but I remember that line. Is you're all on the altar. Does everything you have, everything you are, is that laid before Jesus for his use? Or is only like most of it, or part of it, or none of it? If we are not willing to love the Lord more than anyone or anything else, to put him first above all else, if we're not willing to submit to suffering and even martyrdom for Jesus, we need to ask ourselves if our faith in Jesus is actually real. Or do we just agree with facts? 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus. Salvation by grace means that it is a gift, an absolute gift. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. But God gives it to you anyway because he loves you. Our loyalty to him over everyone and everything else is the first of and the doorway to those good works that he has prepared for us in advance to do. What we do is a reflection of God's love for us. We love because he loved us first. I heard that someplace. If we say that we love Jesus, but we are not willing to put him before everything and everyone else, ourselves included, we are salt without saltiness. Not just less useful, totally useless. Jim Elliott was an American missionary born in Oregon in 1927. And he was killed in Ecuador by the people that he was there to reach for Christ in 1956. This is the man that penned the famous line, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he was killed. He could not keep his life, but he gained eternal life and was willing to submit to Jesus, even if it cost him this life. Are we? Are you? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Amen. Are you sure? Let's pray. Father, um, I don't intend the pun, but these words taste bitter in my mouth. Because I know this isn't always me. It's hardly ever me. Lord, we need the help of your Holy Spirit on our hearts, in our lives, to even come close to this. I'm sure that, like me, when we all think about this, we see how we fall short. Lord, God, I thank you for your great grace that fills our gaps that you give us opportunity to love as you loved us. Help us to keep our eyes open for those chances.
Lord, I, I pray that we would all be willing to give up what we can't keep to gain what we can't lose. Lord, we thank you that your salvation is freely given. That by trusting in Jesus and following him, we get a seat at your table. Even if it costs us this life. Even if it costs us friends. Even if it costs us family. Lord, may our love for you outshine our love for anything or anyone else. May we put you first in all things. And Lord, we ask for your mercy to help us do it. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.